Welcome to Wolfpack Career Chats from NC State University's Career Development Center, the only podcast dedicated to providing NC State students with current, relevant, and thought-provoking ideas that will challenge you to think about your future. Whether you want to know more about what hiring managers are really thinking, or you just need to hear an honest and encouraging story about overcoming obstacles to reach your goals, we've got you covered. Wolfpack Career Chats is just one of the many services we provide. Whether it's career fairs, on-campus interviews, co-op opportunities, or more, we are here for the pack. Hello, it's Marcy Bullock with Wolfpack Career Chats. I'm delighted today to have the head medical director from North Carolina State University, Dr. Julie Cassani on the line. Hi, Julie. Hey, good morning. It's wonderful to have you here today. And a little bit of background on Dr. Cassani. So she has had a lot on her plate. She has briefed all of us in the Division of Academic and Student Affairs since the pandemic hit in mid-March. We have had weekly updates from her medical perspective. So as I mentioned, she is the medical director here on campus in our Student Health Services Office. And she also has her master's in public health. And that is a wonderful degree to have right now. And that is from Johns Hopkins University and her MD from New York University School of Medicine. So knowing that you have ties in New York, the first thing I want to ask you is, how are you? How are your friends and family? Well, thanks, Marcy. And thank you for having me. And um, right now, um, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. Every day I get up, I say, oh, no cough, no fever. Things are looking up. Um, my Friends and family in New York are all doing well, as well as can be expected. Um, so thanks for asking. I appreciate that a lot. Absolutely. I'm glad to hear everyone's doing well. Um, and we are, are thinking about this coming semester right now. Um, we've been going day by day, getting your updates on what the projections are for students returning to campus. And I think a lot of our listeners would love your perspective, just an overall piece of your guidance on how to stay safe when they get back to campus in August. Sure. Well, thank you. I think that um, staying safe is going to appear very different in August and then even it, it is today. It will all depend on what the community transmission rates are. And it's uh, pretty fun for me uh, in being, having been in public health that now the uh, common words that we threw around that seemed very mysterious are now the common vernacular. You know, everyone's using things like flatten the curve and community transmission. So uh, welcome to the fold of epidemiologists. We're all junior epidemiologists now, right? Um, so things in August may look very different again than they do now and certainly that they did maybe two months ago and even six or eight months ago. It will depend very much on what the community transmission rates are, what they were when you were home, and then what they are when you come to campus and how will that change. But by and large, we should still take precautions that I think will be universal for probably at least another year. And that is physical distancing uh, greater than six feet apart if we can, as much as possible face coverings of some sort to protect others from us in case we aren't infectious, 
And then uh, good hand washing, all of those good personal hygiene things that we emphasize, especially during flu season, but now they've become very much a part of our routine. Hand washing, the use of hand gels, uh, hand sanitizers if we can't get our hands washed or in addition to that. And then um, just staying healthy, which is a, a baseline issue that I think we tend to ignore that we need to get good rest, uh, good nutrition, exercise, even if we're doing it alone, uh, making sure that we stay healthy underneath it all. Those are wonderful tips, and I'm glad you hit on some of the things we've been hearing. I want to unpack this whole idea of masks, because I know that is a very hot-button topic right now. My husband is a senior vice president at a local RTP company, and their company is like, can we require it? No, it's not legal. We can encourage it. What do you want students to hear today about mask wearing? Yeah, so the language that we're using at NC State, I think, is actually beautiful language. Um, and that is that uh, it's the expectation that we use facial coverings when we're out in public. And if you can't predict that you won't be out in public, you should wear them. Um, and that is um, what that implies by saying it's an expectation is that it's a sense of personal responsibility. There's a lot of opinion about facial coverings. Uh, there are some people who can't wear them medically. There are some people who um, may have, uh, have, have had trauma in their life, and so wearing a, a facial covering is unnerving to them. But by and large, people should, in general, wear them because they protect other people from you. We do know that there are people who are infectious even when they don't have symptoms and they're not feeling badly. That may not be a large part of the pandemic. That may not have been how most people get it. But it still is a problem, um, and, and potentially we could be spreading it. So wearing that face covering does protect others from us. And so it's a, it's a personal responsibility. I agree with you. I know when I'm in the grocery store, I'm, I'm talking to the clerk, and I'm looking around the store. I just get anxious. You know, I just walk in, and I'm like, will there be toilet paper? And, you know, all of these things wash over me. And I ask my clerk, you know, how many people are wearing masks? And she said probably about 90%. And I said, really, because the 10% that aren't are all here at this moment. And I'm literally walking down the aisle trying to, how do you stay six feet apart in a grocery store? So what's the other thing about masks is how often do you wash them and how do you make sure that they're working? So I think that um, you, you brought up a good point. And that the, the other thing that I failed to mention is that when you wear a mask, it, it keeps you from doing a couple of things. It keeps you from touching your face. Um, which we do frequently. I'm, a, I'm one of the greatest perpetrators of that, as you've seen me on video many times, touching my face. But you touch your face, it will keep you from doing that. And it also will remind you that you do need to stay far apart from people. Um, you should wear a mask until it becomes soiled. And uh, that may be a day if you're doing some um, you know, heavy walking out in our great North Carolina summer weather, um, or it may be that, you know, you can go a couple of days before you wash it. But, but that's why cloth masks, um, the ones that are becoming quite a bit of a fashion statement, um, can, are good because you can rewash them, have a couple of them so that while they're in the laundry, you can swear at the other one. Um, the paper ones or disposable ones, you can dispose of uh, when they get soiled. Um, and just make sure that you have several and you have a couple of backups. 
That's great advice. I like that you said they're a fashion statement. Maybe it's really going to catch on. I've seen some great ones at the bookstores offering with the school spirit. And you mentioned we expect, we expect our community to be wearing masks. And what are some of the, the reasons why we we might not wear it? And I, I know it's, I like for me, sometimes it is hard to breathe with the mask on. And I notice you're wearing glasses. Sometimes your glasses fog up. Any ideas on those concerns? Yeah, so it's hard to wear a face covering for a prolonged period of time. Um, I had one the other day. I had because um, I was at the, I got my hair done. Yay. Um, and I wore my face mask the whole time. And then I went shopping. So I had it on a couple more hours. Um, and it's uncomfortable for sure. But I think it's an inconvenience that I'm willing to put up with in order to keep me infecting other people. And, um, yeah, I vented it every once in a while. There was a time when um, I uh, used the restroom. I took it off briefly in there so I could uh, feel a little bit freer. Um, definitely, for sure. There are people who can't wear a mask. So if, if you have a pretty severe lung disease, um, a mask might, a face covering might impede that. Those are usually people who are on oxygen um, or uh, can't walk. 20 feet without getting shortness of breath. So that increased work of breathing may become difficult for people like that. And again, there may be other circumstances, uh, social circumstances where wearing a face covering is, is, uh, is more than an inconvenience. Uh, there may be some issues in a classroom where you can't hear each other talk because of your face masks. We're trying to work on ways that that's not a problem so that if, uh, people working in groups or trying to communicate, either the instructor trying to communicate to the students or the students to the instructor, we're trying to work on ways to overcome that because it, it can be a bit of a barrier to class participation in the dialogue and the socialization that, you know, makes our campus what it is. Well, that's a great thing to think about is how do you project your voice when you are wearing the mask? I know sometimes I'm having trouble hearing people because you can't read their lips. And I know there's some really great tools to help people to project their voice, almost like you learn when you're a singer, where you breathe from your diaphragm and you, you try to get your voice loud. I've always been really loud, so I don't have a trouble with that. So my students will be able to hear me when I'm teaching my, I'm um, doing some face-to-face -face classes this fall where we're going to be in larger rooms with 20 students and I'll be wearing my mask. And that's something, like you said, that is expected of people. And I know that 80% of our classes are 50 students or more. So there's going to be a lot online. And then a lot of students are going to be craving that social interaction. So what kind of challenges do you think people will be facing when they come back to campus along that lines of connecting to our community and tips for helping them? Yeah, I think that there will be some uh, adaptations that we'll need to make. And I think that that's one of the um, lessons in this pandemic is that we did a lot in the beginning. You know, we were very, very good about social distancing and staying home when we had to and uh, staying away from other people. And then we learned how really difficult that got. Um, and, and we did things like you know, learning how to zoom and and uh, you know how to how to suddenly uh, make sure that that phone call really was valued as we tried to communicate with each other and and what did it mean to be social and then as we started lifting restrictions I think we went you know from zero to forty or at least we're going from zero to forty so uh, people said okay now it's all over I can go out and do what I want to do but 
coronavirus is going to be with us, and it's going to be with us for a while. While we're developing vaccines and we're working um, to, if we can, um, mitigate the impact and, and soften the blow that coronavirus is going to make on us, I, I don't know that it will be gone. gone. Um, and so I think some of the adaptations that we have to make will be very long-standing. So it may mean that we learn, we relearn how to socialize, um, that we we relearn how to talk to people. Um, you know, I have found that I, 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 you know, I'm very, I'm, I'm, I'm a very emotive person. I use my hands a lot when I talk, and I use facial expressions a lot when I talk. I believe that I will probably standing in front of the class do that even more, and I will learn how to do that because people will have to read my eyes. Um, and my hands and my body language uh, when I'm talking. And I think that we, we may have to relearn some of those things, which may be difficult for some people. Some people don't like to do that to begin with. And so learning how to do that will be, will be new. But I think we, we will have to rely on that. And we will have to rely on how to get socialization done in an era where we can't be less than three feet apart. Um, you know, we can't, we can't afford to do that. Um, and um, we're not going to be able to afford to not wear face coverings for a while. And all of that, if we do get rid of all of that, we will have to accept that coronavirus will be with us. For people who don't have a severe disease, which is most of our students are unlikely to have severe disease, there may be a risk um, acceptance that they will get, you know, they'll feel sick uh, and then they'll get better. Um, but the problem is, is that there is a percentage of our population who we know already will have a severe uh, course. And so we need to protect them from getting the disease. And we also know that there is a percentage of young people who get a severe illness unpredictably. Um, and we wouldn't want to uh, risk that. So I think that that's why it is a, it is a matter of expectation and personal responsibility uh, to take care of yourself. Exactly. You might think you're invincible because you're young and healthy, but you're making this sacrifice for your elderly grandparents and for your community where you don't know if someone is immunocompromised and, and it's a small inconvenience. And I like what you said about learning to socialize. I mean, I've tried some new things with some of my friends like virtual happy hours, which I'm connecting with people 3000 miles away in California who I always could have done this with, but I never did until now because we're all quarantined at home with nothing else to do. So I, I like that idea but let's be real if you're you know 20 years old and you're you're wanting to hang out with your friends and have a few drinks and enjoy your college experience um, what do you want those students to hear well I think it's a balance you know I think I think um, you know I think a 20 year old I was 20 um, you know you take risks and and as as long as you appreciate that they are acceptable risks to you and balancing it out um, I think that that's, that that's what we're going to have to do as a society. Um, and I think that that's what a 20-year-old is going to have to do. It, put, it puts a lot of responsibility on the 20-year-old, you know, or the 19-year-old, because suddenly um, that action, uh, which maybe a year or two ago, a 19-year-old only had to think of small consequences if they thought about them at all. And now they're thinking of much bigger consequences. So, so 
that's understandable. And, and I think that, um, again, just thinking about the risk and trying to minimize what you can and, and then accepting other risks. And, and where does it all play out? It's, it's, um, it's, it's a tough road. I mean, it's a tough road and, and it's, none of this is easy for any of us. This is, um, to use a very overused word right now, these are unprecedented times and we don't know what the outcome of this is going to be. But I think understanding that and just going into it sort of eyes wide open is, is really where we want to be and not to overstress about it, but just to, just to keep a, a keep a balance. Right. And you, um, and I, maybe I should have said 21 years old, because that's when you're legally able to drink. But we know that, you know, sometimes things happen when you are younger. But thinking about places opening up, we're recording this in the middle of June. And in North Carolina, places like gyms and bars haven't opened yet. But um, hair salons have opened and restaurants have opened. And I'm downtown Raleigh, right next to the Transfer Co. Food Hall, and they've just opened. But I don't see very many people out. And, and that was surprising to me. So Maybe people are taking it really slow. Now, I know you said you went and got your hair cut. So are you comfortable with someone washing your hair and blow drying? Or how did that go? Because I haven't done that yet. So it went fine. I wore my mask the whole time and my stylist wore his mask the whole time. Um, I've known him for a long time. So we were very comfortable in that space. Uh, it was um, interesting because as people were we passed each other in the hall, other um, customers, other clients, um, we stopped, looked at each other, smiled, like you could see in our eyes that we were smiling, like, is it okay? I'm going to go, I'm going to go. The other, um, the other sort of um, uh, protocol that I've seen happen a lot in socialization is, um, are, are you okay with me wearing a mask? Are you okay with me sharing this space? And, and again, being honest about it and open about it and understanding about it. There may have been a reason why that person didn't feel comfortable coming close. Maybe they have an illness that they're even more concerned. It's not my place to ask about that illness, but I can just say, are you comfortable with me in subtle body language ways? Are you comfortable with me being and sharing your space? I think that those are the kinds of things we're going to learn. Um, and um, my stylist and I had had the conversation, are you okay with coming back if we both wear masks? And I think if you're going to be in a situation like that, maybe a student meeting an advisor, um, you know, a quick little email. Um, I'm, I'm not able to wear a mask because of such and such a reason. Are you okay with that? Or should we meet a different way? Or maybe I really want you to wear a mask or a face covering when I'm in that room. Um, can you please help me out with that? I think that having those open conversations, I think would be really good. No one should be offended by that. It is an extra step, but people shouldn't be offended because again, everybody's looking out for each other. I think that's very true. Having that open conversation with your advisor, with your professors, with your um, hairdresser, you know, your doctor, wherever you're going out into the world. And, and with things opening up, like you said, it's easy to get complacent. But right now in the middle of June, things are at a high and there's protests and there's people out amongst other people. And are, are you thinking that um, things are going to be like, what do you predict as an epidemiologist after all this stuff has happened in June? Well, I think the number of cases are going to go up. I think they are going up. And I think it's because people are relaxing a little bit more with some of these restrictions. So I think um, I'm not surprised by the numbers going up. I don't think anybody is. What I do think is um, we need to get a hold on it. They're, they're going to go up very high. And then we're going to face restrictions again. And nobody wants that. So I think we need to be careful about what we do. 
I'm concerned about the fall. I think we all are. Uh, we're all very tentative about our reopening procedures. We're, we're doing due diligence and making sure that we do them the best that we possibly can, given the information that we know, which is loose. Um, so we're trying to make the best decisions about reopening. Um, I'm concerned because, as with all outbreaks, there will be a second wave, I think. Um, I'm hoping what we're seeing now is not the beginning of that second wave. Um, so we just need to, again, be diligent about what we're doing so that we don't have to go back into severe restrictions. I think, think that would be very, very hard on everybody um, in terms of the socialization, in terms of the illnesses, and in terms of the economy. And so if we can just keep this at bay, if we can just do our best to to keep this low incidence rates, I think um, I think we won't have to do those things that none of us want to think about doing again. Right. And we're not out of the woods and taking those precautions are so important for the ideal scenario for the fall. So what would that look like to you if if things go the best way they possibly can? Um, will, will we have sporting events and athletics? I mean, what would your as a medical doctor recommendation be if things start to flatten and there isn't a second wave? So I think that um, we will be able to open up some more. Uh, it won't look the same. Um, I think we will still have to do some measures of physical distancing. We will still have to do face covering. So, you know, football may not quite look like football a year ago. Um, and I, and we're working hard within our, our athletics department and with the ACC and NCAA to make sure that, uh, we have consistent, um, guidelines and rules out there for protecting not just the athletes, but also the spectators, uh, in the stands. Um, so it will look different, but I think that there will be more opening as we move through this, provided um, uh, nothing, you know, outrageously serious happens. We're also making uh, good provisions on campus so that students who do get sick get seen, um, they get tested, um, either whether they're sick um, or if they're a direct and close contact to those people who are sick. So we have a contact tracing program in place so that if either an employee or a student gets sick, we can make sure that those people who are close contacts on campus get identified and get followed, get good advice on what to do for themselves. And then uh, we can continue to do that and, and protect not just the people who are sick and the close contacts, but everyone else. And that not is not only important to control the epidemic. I mean, that's, that's the steps that all of public health is taking right now, but it's also important for our campus. And, and hopefully that reassures people that we are taking this seriously and we are trying to control it for, so that the people who are healthy can continue to go to class and continue to enjoy college. We want people to enjoy college. I've been on campus all summer. I've worked every day and it's lonely here. We want the students to come back. Um, you know, we all work here because we love the energy and without that energy, we're sad. So we want people to come back and we want people to be able to enjoy it. And I know at you, you with you at the helm, Dr. Kasani, you are going to do your best to make sure as director that your team is ready to help anyone that gets sick and keeping our campus healthy. That is your job. Let's get into this article that I shared with you today, which um, groups activities into three categories. And epidemiologists were asked, when do you think we'll be able to do these things? Um, so the, the categories are this summer, 
or in a year or beyond a year. So for this summer, um, the first category involved um, bringing in mail without precautions. Again, reminding yourself, you gotta take precautions when you bring in the mail, because a lot of people have touched it. Seeing a doctor for a non-urgent opinion or appointment and getting a haircut, which we just talked about. So what would your thought be on if that's okay to do this summer or later? Yeah, so again, um, you know, life goes on. Uh, people, I'm really worried that people don't go to see their healthcare providers for their routine healthcare um, or non-coronavirus related illnesses uh, because we don't need people unhealthy. Um, you know, first of all, that will, just if they're unhealthy, that's not a good thing, number one. Number two, if you're unhealthy, you may be more at risk for problems if you get coronavirus. So those kinds of situations, I think, life goes on and we need to begin to prioritize what we do uh personally reopen so um and and again life probably will never be the same well we probably will be nervous doing some of these things and and making sure that um high touch surfaces are always clean um you know i think my house will probably always stay be cleaner from now on um and in terms of of what i'm doing what i'm not doing but i think cautiously um reopening if you will or going back to some of those routines that are absolutely necessary for our lives i think will uh will gradually come more and more on board that's and so you've done some of these things already so it sounds like this summer now this next group of of activities, a lot of the epidemiologists have said, ooh, maybe wait three to 12 months. And some have even said a year or more, which is going to a dinner party, working in a shared office, riding a subway, traveling by airplane, and eating inside a restaurant. So would you say this summer, within 12 months or beyond? So um, I will admit that having worked in public health, I am much, much more cautious about eating out in general because I happen to know which restaurants got citations. Um, so uh -huh. epidemiologists tend to be informed and tend to be more nervous about some of those things. So I, I laughed when I, I saw some of these because I know um, some of my former colleagues, I'm sure, answered some of these questions and, and I could probably predict what they would have said. I think that... Um, there are circumstances where I will probably, I probably would be more cautious myself. And so therefore, of course, I have to tell other people to be more cautious. So things that where you might have a lot less control on people's, um, in general, people's behavior and what's happening. So getting on an airplane, um, it's probably going to make me nervous the first uh, times I do that. And I would probably put that off, you know, probably as long as I could um, do that. So it might take me couple months and Marcy, you know, I love to travel. So um, it's probably going to be a, a while uh, before I get on an airplane um, and to travel. Um, and in terms of some of the uh, um, uh, congregations, uh, I will think twice about. I too was at a restaurant this weekend and I was nervous um, and I couldn't put my finger on why I was nervous, but it was because people were a bit closer than I would have liked. Um, and I and I and it was the first time I was back out in, in a restaurant. So it's it's good that we learn habits pretty quickly, but it's in some ways it's bad because we break habits pretty quickly too. And I think this is one habit I think we do need to hold on to for a bit longer. I would I would be concerned until we have vaccine um, available. I think it's going to be interesting to see how that vaccine develops and what it eventually does, um, because vaccines can do different things for different people. And the development of the vaccine is uh, 
is, is being done very intelligently and very smartly and very cautiously. So I, I think that it will be a saving grace, but I think we do need to um, be smart about how we use that vaccine and, and how it gets developed. We're all waiting on that vaccine, and a lot of these questions relate to that, of course. And this last group, these are the, the things that a lot of epidemiologists said, ooh, um, some of them said never again, <laughs> um, and some of them said in a year or more to shake hands, give someone a hug, go to a church, or um, just stop wearing your mask. Um, what do you think on that? I know it's hard to have a crystal ball. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, again, these are. Um these are settings where I, I, I think people feel that they have less control over the other people there. So, you know, sitting in a in a in an enclosed space like at a wedding or a church or uh, or on an airplane again, uh, where um, you're sitting there for a period of time exchanging the same air, therefore the same germs as everybody else. Um, I think it's gonna it's it's going to be dicey for a while. Um, exactly how long, I don't know, um, but it's going to be dicey. Um, so until we get enough people who have some type of immunity and we're pretty sure that they're not infectious, I think I'm going to be very cautious in those kind of kinds of congregate settings. Um, and especially if I can't control how far that person is away from me or whether or not they are actually infectious, um, I, I'm going to be... I'm going to have a little bit of increased heart rate <laughs> while I'm sitting there. Yeah, we've got to stay tuned. I know for me personally, my daughter just got engaged and it's such a happy time. And we were um, talking about a date and she looked at November 2021. So I'm crossing my fingers that we get that uh, that vaccine and that we're all able to gather and give each other hugs again. Um, but we're going to have to stay tuned. So zooming into the future for our last question. The year is 2040, and Dr. Julie Cassani gets to give advice to her current self. What would you say to yourself today with 20 more years of life experience? I think I would say um, probably the same types of, of great advice I got when I was younger, which I give to a lot of students. You know, you heard them say this, um, and that is to be um, very open to ideas. Um, my career has taken a lot of twists and turns. I'm probably on my fifth career of my career. Um, and it's always because I was um, taught early on to be adaptable and to be open to uh, new roads. Um, and I think that that's the advice I give to most young people today. Um, you actually gave me um, advice. I don't know if you know this. I think I've told you this story, but my son came to NC State and during his freshman orientation, you made a comment that said that we are training our students for jobs that don't exist today. Um, and um, I take that very seriously. I tell a lot of my students that. And um, I think that's what I would tell myself. Keep your eyes open, get a core sense of education and training. And then um, you know, seize the day. Most parents don't want to hear that. They want people, their students to go out and get jobs. I tell my son to go get a job. But the students who I can advise, I take the liberty of telling them to follow their heart and follow their passion and, and then develop their own job uh, because they can. Their own careers are out there. 
um, they just have to have the courage to, to, to seize them and, and develop them. I love that, Dr. Kasani. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. I appreciated this. You know, I love to talk about this stuff. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. The NC State Career Development Center prepares and empowers students to identify and pursue their career goals. Stop by Pullen Hall to learn more. Thank you for listening to Wolfpack Career Chats, and we hope to see you around campus. Have a packtacular day.